an Ironic Media production. Visit us at I-R-O-N-I-C-K media.com. All right, welcome back to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. If this podcast has been broadcasting healing vibes into your life, please follow on Apple and Spotify and leave a review. Your review helps other people find this podcast and the transformations continue. And don't forget to share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Let's heal together. When you're stuck in a fight or flight state from emotional trauma, whether it's subconscious or unconscious, it creates a systemic inflammatory pattern. We get a lot of inflammatory molecules released. Some are called pro-inflammatory cytokines. And those are the same molecules if you've had a cold or the flu and you've had to sit on the couch, you don't really want to talk to anyone, you don't have an appetite. That is called cytokine-induced sickness behavior. Because mm. those cytokines, they're basically your body is trying to conserve energy to help you heal. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right. Today on the podcast, I have Dr. Tim Jackson, and I'm really excited to introduce you to him. I enjoyed being on his podcast. He's a wonderful human being. I had a great time just discussing health and wellness. He is a thought leader. I thought so, but also Ben Greenfield has actually publicly said that he's a thought leader, which I think is really awesome. He is a graduate of Wake Forest with a degree in health sciences and chemistry. And he also then went on to get his doctorate in physical therapy. And so he's really mastered this understanding of like what is going to heal the body. Like many people in the health and wellness field, he suffered from chronic illness and Lyme disease that was running rampant without being checked, hormonal issues. You know, a lot of the issues that we all are struggling with from time to time, or if you're very sensitive, he also helps to write for the MTHFR support group, which is also another important factor to consider for your own health is if you have the MTHFR gene, but he's just a wealth of knowledge. And I'm really excited to talk to him about how to become more resilient because he's just like an expert in that. So why not talk about that? Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Hey, Amy, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you again. This is going to be fun. I can already tell. You are great at helping people to become more resilient. Like what's the number one thing you would say we need to know about our health and how to become more resilient? Yeah, I think a lot of times people try to put more, well, let's put it this way. Functional medicine essentially comes down to two things, getting the bad stuff out and the good stuff in. A lot of times people just start piling on these biohacks and they may be fine, but you may not need as many of those as if you get the bad stuff out. And so it's easier to become a lot more resilient when you're less toxic, your oxygen saturations are better, your mitochondria or energy producing centers of the cell work better. So I think some quick ways are one, synchronizing with your environment with your light cycle, 
trying to get early morning sunshine and early evening now sunshine. So you reset your circadian rhythm. And our body is basically a large solar panel. So we get more than just vitamin D. We get increased mitochondrial function, increased immune function, and many other things. So that's one thing. And then the second thing would be minding your light. So not just getting the good natural sunlight, but not getting too much artificial blue light from mm -hmm. electronics after dark. Yeah, for sure. I saw a huge increase in my deep sleep after I introduced the blue light glasses. They are red tinted. So it like mimics if you were looking at a sunset versus wake up and here's this exciting stuff happening on the screen. So yeah, I, I noticed a huge increase in my deep sleep, like I said, and I wasn't really expecting that. And I also agree that using blackout curtains is amazing for your sleep as well. That I've been doing for years, but the blue light glasses, that was pretty surprising. Yeah, absolutely. And our circadian rhythm basically controls 300 or more genetic transcriptions. So whether the gene gets read or and processed and those proteins get produced or not, we know that each organ of detoxification has a time that it's slightly more active. So when your sleep cycle, you can get eight hours of sleep, but if you don't go to bed until 1 a.m., then it's, you're going to feel very different than if you went to bed at 9 or 9.30. Yep. I go to bed at 9.30. <laughs> It's true. I do. I feel better if I do. And I've seen that with my clients as well. The people who are struggling usually wake up between two and four because of the different organs that are cleansing themselves at those times. And that's a good indication of something that you need to work on within your own body to get rid of. Like you said, get them out so that you don't have to do as much. Getting them out, quote unquote, what's the best way to do that? Because I know that that's why you went into functional medicine you wanted to discover like what's the fastest route to figuring out what tests to take and all that, because a lot of us spin our wheels. In fact, I was reading Nick Pinehall, like he's brilliant in the field of health and wellness and he was struggling and he came to you and he, you saved him a lot of time and energy. And I recently saw a picture of him and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's the same guy that I met five years ago. Looks completely different in a good way. So how yeah. do we figure this out? Yeah. So, I mean, we're all born toxic today. The average umbilical cord has between 250 to 300 known carcinogens. And that's just the carcinogens they looked at in that particular study. But I think number one, recognizing that fact, and then realizing that we're all no matter if you're not using mercury in your house or in your water system, it's going to get to you somehow. And so I'm not in general, a big fan of harsh cleanses. I want to do things that gently support our drainage and detoxification pathways. One thing that can help so many people is getting our lymphatic system moving. Now you can get a vibration plate on Amazon for $200, $250. It doesn't have to be one of the expensive $2,000 ones. And that's going to get your lymphatic system, your lymphatic fluid moving because when it's stagnant, Number one, you're not going to detoxify. And number two, it creates what are called pathogen reservoirs. So you're harboring all these pathogens and we focus on what's going on in the bloodstream. And that's important. But, you know, the lymphatic system is essentially our garbage disposal system. So if your garbage disposal was clogged, you wouldn't constantly put more stuff in and turn it on. Right. So I think using a vibration plate or a rebounder, people ask me which is better. I would say in my experience, the vibration plate is slightly more effective, but just get moving at the end of the day. 
because our heart has and cardiovascular system has the luxury of pumping blood throughout the body. But right. our lymphatic system, it relies on muscular contractions. So that's why movement is medicine and it's essential. Having structured gym time is important, but also just moving, mm-hmm. you know, playing with your kids mm-hmm. or going out, dancing in the rain, literally. I mean, doing anything to get yourself moving. Yeah, we have one of those vibration plates and we also have a rebounder. And I do think that the vibration plate works a little bit better, not only because it's probably more effective, but also I find that with the rebounder, you can wind up like hurting yourself. Like, I mean, I don't know, it sounds silly, but we're getting older and (laughs) spine can get a little bit out of alignment from it if you're not careful. So I like the vibration plates. Pretty cool. We have the expensive one. I did not know about the Amazon (laughs) one, but so that's great to know. You, you're bringing up some really great points, like, because one of the things that I realized when I was going through my own journey was just like, if I'm buying all these expensive products, supplements and things like that, and the perfect organic food and I'm eating it, but my gut isn't absorbing it and my gut isn't processing it and it's overburdening it. Like I'm wasting my money and my time, maybe even making it worse. How do you help people to like back it up? (laughs) What do we need to deal with first other than getting the lymphatics going? Yeah. So, I mean, I think number one is hydration. We want to drink water, but we want to also make sure we're getting minerals and electrolytes. And if you just pound water all day and you're someone who lives in a hot environment, like I'm in the South, so I'm outside and it's like 69, 70 degrees today. So sweaty, it's easy to get hot and sweaty. But if you sweat a lot and you're dehydrated, you can end up with things like kidney stones, atrial fibrillation, heart palpitations because of low potassium. All the electrolytes are important, but potassium tends to be like a common deficiency these days. Mm, yeah. What is that all about? Because I, I just intuitively have realized that. One, I don't think we consume it as much in food or via food. Number one, I think the soil is depleted. And number two, most of us are magnesium deficient and magnesium and potassium work together. And so they can kind of basically mitigate or not mitigate, but support one another. They're basically like cofactors. And because we're so magnesium deficient, that can contribute to potassium deficiency. Conversely, if you're taking magnesium, but it's not helping you, it could be because you don't have enough potassium. And so all of those things play a role using electrolytes and minerals, replenishing those because minerals, magnesium and zinc with the two plus valency state, meaning a two plus charge, they bind to the same part of our cells on the enzymatic binding sites as mercury and lead. And so I've had people who take magnesium or zinc and they say, oh, Dr. Tim, I can't take it. I'm allergic to it. But you know, if that were true, we would be dead. So really what's happening, we just have to bring the dose down because they're kicking out that mercury and lead. Wow. So your body is smart enough to realize that the mercury should go and you should take the electrolytes. That's so interesting. Yeah. Huh. And so it basically just kicks it out. It's like an eviction notice. Right, 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 right. Well, I mean, I actually, I don't think I've talked about this. So I had traditional dentistry growing up. And I had some cavities and they were filled with mercury. And about 12 years ago, I had them all taken out. And I thankfully went to a bio, what are they called? Biodentist. Biological dentist. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the amount of equipment that they had to protect themselves and me from removing it was unbelievable. So if you're out there and you have the mercury, 
in your mouth, it is constantly off-gassing in your body and also can like crumble and just like get into your body, obviously. And then if you go and get them taken out, you might need to do a cleanse afterwards. I did. Cilantro can help evict it, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that about the electrolytes. That's really interesting. So do you think that we're dealing with as a population, just too much mercury and lead in our body? Or like, it sounds like that's what you're saying. I think we are dealing with a multitude of toxicants and they're some of the most common people are thankfully talking about them more and more, but it takes putting more pressure on companies to be transparent with third-party testing and more pressure on industry, because basically they're going to look at other companies and say, well, they're doing it. So why would we not do it? They can save money that way. But I think we're dealing with mycotoxins from mold that in itself creates a multitude of problems in basically every system, physiological system we have. The pesticides, endocrine disrupting chemicals mm -hmm. or EDCs. So if you're using traditional perfume and deodorant and toothpaste, it's going to hijack your hormonal system. Yeah. And then the water supply. So a lot of us have mitigated and worked on our filtration system for our drinking water, but we haven't done it for our shower. And I didn't do mine. I had a, a one filter for about the past five years. And then at the end of last year, I got a new one, a higher quality one. Which one did and you get? It's the one from, I think it's Aquasana. Yeah, that's one we have. Yeah. Cool. Bathing yourself in these toxicants, that is way worse than drinking it. But we tend to kind of offset that or off put that and not think about it as much. But, you know, if we could just stop putting so much of the bad stuff in mm -hmm. and just provide some of the good stuff, <laughs> then, you know, it gives your body a fighting chance. Totally. Yeah. It's so easy to start eliminating these things. We just don't know what stuff to really eliminate when we first start. Like, I remember being like, how can I switch from my really harsh deodorant? Like I'm good. Nobody's going to want to be my friend. And then it turned out like if you clean your internal body, then you don't smell so bad and then you don't need it as much. And then you can switch to something that's a little bit less harsh or has less chemicals. You know, I still play around with that deodorant. Like I've used the crystal salts or whatever before. And sometimes I go with none. When I do camping, I'm not going to lie. I do use serious deodorant. <laughs> I've had good results and full disclosure, I'm on the medical advisory board, but Katie Wells, Wellness Mama. Oh, her, yeah. Her new wellness brand, the mineral deodorant. I started using about three, three and a half months ago. I'll probably never use another deodorant. Oh, cool. Good to know. Yeah, Katie, I met her many years ago. She's awesome. She's been in the health and wellness field for a long time. Huge brand, good quality stuff. I use her toothpaste sometimes when I yep. order it. I just have to get more consistent about ordering it. Again, toothpaste, for instance, is really important to replace that garbage toothpaste that's slowly putting chemicals into your body. We think, oh my God, my teeth are going to fall out if I use something different, but it's actually not true. And in the pineal gland, if you're somebody who is looking to become, let's say, more psychic or see energy or get more downloads, the calcification that can happen from toothpaste, I won't say what chemical is in there. You can do your own research, but there's something that will calcify the pineal gland that's in there in the toothpaste. So we want to avoid that. <laughs> Absolutely. The damage is far reaching. And the study you mentioned was out of Harvard, how it's not more widely known. And I would also lowers your IQ, by the way. Yeah. And that paper is also out of Harvard. I think the average was like nine or 10 points or something. I want to say Jesus, that's a lot. 
That's a lot. And the chemical you're referring to, basically, we had a surplus of it after World War II. And they had to decide, what are we going to do with it? You know, so right there, the alarm bells should be going. Put less garbage in and then kill off whatever might be growing in there because of the garbage. You know, I remember back in the day when I started studying all this stuff. I mean, it just it got more and more clear that it was around energy of the body. And so I love that you talk about this as well. Like, how do we support the energetic body? with like supplements or avoiding things. But one thing that I learned, and it was from this study called Pop and Pop, the carcinogens and the chemicals actually scramble your energy. And I was like, wow, I don't think I want that in my body scrambling my energy, right? So then if you start looking for those things that could be scrambling and eliminating them, then obviously your energy is going to be stronger and it's going to be more well-connected and the signal is going to be stronger. But Go ahead and tell us what you know about supporting the energetic body through physical or biological things. Yes. So, I mean, a lot of people say er everything begins in the gut. And to an extent, that's true. But what I can also tell you is that if you have ingested mycotoxins, whether you may have breathed them in or ingested them via food, such as coffee or nut butter, they will constantly disrupt your gut flora and cause pathogenic overgrowth. And so detoxifying the mold is kind of a number one priority. And it also impacts heavy metals because if you try to detoxify heavy metals and you have mycotoxins on board, you may get some of the metals out, but a lot of them will remain. And it has to do with the molecular weight of mycotoxins relative to metals. Mm. Mycotoxins tend to weigh more. So I, there you go. I saved people about seven grand. I did 18 chelation treatments. In 2006 and 2007, and it didn't budge my mercury numbers because I had mycotoxins. But this was two years prior to me really learning about mold and the clinical aspects of mold. So, one thing that I've heard before is that when we have an overgrowth of a bacteria or a fungi in the body, it's actually there to protect you. And what it's protecting you from is the massive amounts of heavy metals that you might have floating around your body. Like they're eating them and holding onto them or whatever. Right. And so like when you kill them off, you're also releasing the heavy metals as well, which is, can be a complication. Is that correct? Yeah. So basically what happens is whether it's a virus, bacteria, fungi, your body's going to produce biofilm or the pathogens will produce biofilm, not your body. But what that does is that hides the pathogens from immune surveillance. Right. And so it's so screwed up. Sorry. Yeah. The <laughs> pathogens are a lot smarter than we give them credit. For. I know. I know. They can I trick our immune system and that gets into the whole neuroimmune syndrome concept. But the biofilms, when you break those open, you can start detoxifying heavy metals. What I would say in my experience I've seen is that if someone has recurrent yeast overgrowth, independent of having taken any antibiotics, that's kind of a red flag for mercury. And so the yeast will continue coming back until you get rid of the mercury. But the caveat to both of those is mold toxicity. So Mold toxicity suppresses the immune system, allows for yeast overgrowth, and then you start piling in metals on top of it. So you have to address all of them, but in general, you want to detoxify the mold first. And a lot of people, they say, well, my house, it costs 2.4 million and it was built a year ago. 
But unfortunately, the mold doesn't know any of these things because I've had people get very upset with me about the cost of their home and mold. But the way they build homes and contractors just aren't held accountable, at least not yet. We're kind of getting closer to the tipping point. But we don't, in general, the only species of mold you can really see is stachybotrys or black mold. And so if you have that, then yeah, you definitely have mold. And that's one of the most lethal. But many types of mold, especially like aspergillus, which affects the lungs, immune system and kidneys, that you can't see or even smell most of the time. Oh, really? Huh. I have an extra sensitivity to mold. Like I have that gene that I can just smell it and immediately have a reaction to it. Would I be able to smell that? It's possible, but you have all sorts of extra sensory dimension abilities. So it's hard (laughs) to touch metal and I can taste it. Um, Is that a problem? (laughs) I would say you might want to check your metal levels. Right, right, right. Because the other thing is we forget that our bodies run on voltage. Mm -hmm. And like you mentioned, when you have mercury in the mouth, that biogalvanism is basically creating a current because most people think we chew up and down, but we actually chew like this. Oh, huh. And so there's a anterior portion to the joint, a semi-disc, like half a disc, and then the posterior portion to the joint. And so the lower jaw moves down and forward, and then it can also move in the transverse plane. And you're saying that creates a current? Yeah, that creates a current if you have metal in your mouth. Uh, And that's one reason why, if you think about it, like you mentioned, your dentist, he had all this expensive, elaborate equipment. But then conversely... You know, I've had other dentists tell me, if you say you're removing mercury amalgams because they're dangerous, you can lose your license. But if you say you're doing it for aesthetic reasons, they won't bother you. Yes, I think I had to say that. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's, I mean, if you think about like your dentist having all the equipment opposed to a traditional dentist who's installing that or implanting those on an almost daily basis or at least several times a week. I mean, I know several dentists they came to me originally with like musculoskeletal complaints, but I'm like, you have that bioaccumulation. You've right. been practicing for 35 years. I mean, everyone's detox systems has a breaking point. Totally. So interesting. And you know what? For whatever reason, dentists have the number one suicide rate. What the hell is that about? Mad Hatter's disease. If you remember mercury yeah. toxicity. Yeah. yeah. In studies, like in a culture, it will kill neurons, not damage them, but kill them. This is so fascinating talking to you and like picking your brain. This is, I appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. My pleasure. So anything else you want to share with us that we can do to address our health and resilience in our body? So I think number one, depending on what you have access to, any sort of what we call hormetic stressors. So stress applied long-term to the body is bad, but applying a little stress, what I call priming the pump so that Mm -hmm. the system gets activated can actually make us more resilient and stronger. And so an example of a hormetic stressor would be the sauna behind you. So that stresses the body because there's two ways to change the function of a protein, change the pH or change the temperature. And so When our body starts to get more and more toxic, our body temperature, oftentimes there are other reasons, but it'll often get lower. And so in order to start detoxifying, killing pathogens again, that's why a sauna is critical. 
But that's also why a lot of hospitals and some centers in the United States use medically induced hyperthermia to kill pathogens. And you're under partial anesthesia because they take you up to about 105 degrees, I think, Fahrenheit. But getting hot, and that's why if you watch movies or TV and you see sometimes men in scantily clad banana hammocks on the Mediterranean, and you're like, how do they live to be 124? A lot of times it's the sauna because even if it's not an infrared, if it's just a heat sauna, there's a lot of benefit to that heat, that hormetic stressor. And so if you have access to an infrared sauna, I would say use it. And now you can get pretty high quality, even portable saunas Mm -hmm. for cheap. And it used to be the case that they weren't very powerful, but that's no longer the case. Ideally, the one like you have is great. But if you can't afford that, you can still get the benefits. So what would you recommend for people who are starting out with their sauna journey? Because I've heard conflicting information around, you know, only do five minutes because the die off is going to be so strong or do it longer because you're killing off stuff. So what do you think? So in terms of timing or the brand, is that what you meant? Just timing. Yeah. Yeah. So I tell people, if you've never been in a sauna, start out with just five minutes at say 115 degrees Fahrenheit. And make sure it actually reaches that temperature before you get in. Don't Mm -hmm. just turn it on and start the timer. So I think that is one way to assess your tolerance. But simultaneously, you don't want to get in the sauna if you're not having regular bowel movements. Right. And what do I mean by regular bowel movements? It used to be sometimes if people are only going every three or four days, my first goal is to get them going once a day. Yeah. And then when we meet that goal... Our next goal is to go twice a day on a regular basis, at least six days a week. I try to get bowels moving, and we do that through movement, body weight squats. It's is a random fact, but your femur, your right femur, thigh bone, pushes fecal matter up the ascending colon. We're the only species walking the planet that has to push poop uphill against gravity. Huh? Because if you think about when your son was in utero, He was in a deep squat position the entire time. Right, right. And so that right femur, he's already, see, kids have this innate intelligence and we kind of take it out of them. We kind of teach them to stop listening to themselves, but they're incredibly wise. And so if you look at a kid who's like, needs to go number two, he's (laughs) over the the corner. Yeah, Yeah, he's he's in the corner corner squatting. And he's giving you that little look. Yes. Like, is it okay? Can I do it? But that position, if you think about our ancestors, they were sitting around the campfire in a deep squat position. Yeah. And so that, along with the vibration plate or rebounder, can help the bowels moving and then or get moving, and then hydration along For with sure. electrolytes. And so those three things will help. But I would say increase by five-minute increments every few days. And starting out the first week, maybe just do twice. And then the second week, three times. And then gradually, once you get the frequency up, then start increasing the time. Because it turns out that Dr. Sherry Rogers, prior to her dying, untimely death several years ago, basically she wrote that the frequency of sauna use trumps the duration. So if you can do 20 minutes, five times a week, that's better than an hour twice a week. Okay. Good to know. You bring up so many great points that, and it's so interesting when you're on this journey, you just pick up these things and then it becomes part of your routine. So 
If you don't have a squatty potty or a potty, what the hell is it called? Squatty Squat- potty. Yeah, squatty potty. That helps you go to the bathroom properly. So that that's really important. And then there was something else that you mentioned. Oh yeah, I had always thought it was quote unquote normal to go once a day, but then I recently found out in the last couple of years, it, going after every meal is more appropriate for a really healthy digestive system. And of course you want it to be normal poop. I can't believe we're talking about this, but we are. <laughs> this is important for our health. And the other thing that I remember learning back in the day is that if you are dehydrated, guess where your body is going to get that water from? Your poop. If you aren't drinking water, your body will re have to recycle that water in your poop. Like, does that sound like it's going to be a good idea? No. Right. So yeah, drinking lots of water is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, water, 1% decline or decrease in hydration status affects your mineral acuity, your processing speed. And not to mention digestion. Nowadays, we send kids to school with a water bottle and all this. And it's so wonderful that they have that. And just yesterday, my son came home and he hadn't finished his water bottle. And I was like, well, did you refill it? Because sometimes he does. He's like, no. And I'm like, hey, you can't do that. Like, you have to drink water throughout the day. But then when I look back at when I was a kid, Fen and I talk about this, like we went to the water fountain like twice a day and then maybe had a glass of milk at dinner. And that was it. It's like. We were way underhydrated, I think, when we were younger. Yeah. I have a question for you. You and I were talking and you had mentioned there is a connection between emotional trauma and inflammation. And I'm just like dying to know your answer about this. Yeah. If you look at the autonomic nervous system, the things that happen automatically without us, you know, volitionally trying, it's split into the sympathetic or fight or flight nervous system and the parasympathetic, the rest and digest. All of our healing, no matter what we're referring to, happens in a parasympathetic state. And it's never the case, well, maybe if you're trying to lift a car or a truck off of a child, you might be 100% sympathetic. But most of the time, it's a situation where it's the proportion, you know, what percentage sympathetic versus parasympathetic majority of the time, I would say 99% of the time, you want to be mostly parasympathetic. Mm-hmm. You want your digestion working because when you go sympathetic, blood flow is diverted from your internal organs into your skeletal muscles. Mm-hmm. And so when you're stuck in a fight or flight state from emotional trauma, whether it's subconscious or unconscious, it creates a systemic inflammatory pattern we get a lot of inflammatory molecules released. Some are called pro-inflammatory cytokines. And those are the same molecules if you've had a cold or the flu and you've had to sit on the couch, you don't really want to talk to anyone, you don't have an appetite. That is called cytokine-induced sickness behavior. Because mm. those cytokines, they're basically your body is trying to conserve energy to help you heal. I love that. And one thing I noticed when I was doing a cleanse, it was only for 18 hours. I was trying to like not eat for 18 hours to see what would happen, which by the way, I got super strong. (laughs) It was pretty cool. I was like thinking I'd be super weak, but I wasn't. I remember neighbors happened to stop by and I was like, I know I don't have the energy for these people right now. Right. And I was like, but I like them. And I'm, but I'm like, no, I need to just stay quiet and like, just be in my own field. And Absolutely. so you're thinking, so you think that was like my body detoxifying and the releasing of the cytokines or, you know, 
it, it could be some of that, but I think it's probably more the blood sugar fluctuations and then the subsequent stress on your sex hormones. What happens, and I have an interview coming out in January about this with a lady who's on staff at Stanford, and basically, Dr. Molly Maloof. Okay, I'm not, I don't know her. She's known as the doctor of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Cool. Um, <laughs> Love it. Which, yeah, so I'm kind of jealous of her for that. But yeah, the in, inflammatory cytokines, that could be one possibility, but metabolic flexibility. So a lot of people, they jump to intermittent fasting or a 24-hour fast, but other stressors on your body. So we always want to look at the totality of stressors. You've heard people say, oh, I had a really stressful day. I'm going to go crush it in the gym. That's not what you want to do. Mm -mm. You can go exercise, but you have to realize that's an additional stressor. So as a sort yep. of orthopedic side note, I'll say, go down in the number of sets, but not in the weight. You want to create the same metabolic stimulus, but not the same volume. And the volume is what creates the most stress. Interesting. In that's good to know. Yeah. And so when you look at the totality of stressors on someone, if they have a lot of gut pathogens, they have some heavy metal toxicity, some mold toxicity, blood sugar fluctuations, then they probably shouldn't start intermittent fasting. That doesn't right. mean intermittent fasting is bad. It just means they're not, not quite for ready for it. Right. I Yes, I agree. And that's one of the things that I've realized throughout my journey is that there are useful tools. It's just a matter of when you use them. You don't want to overburden or overstress the body. And we both are fans of the aura ring because it can give you that physical representation of your overall stress or your overall body and health. And, you know, that they actually say in some of the research not to go work out because you're more likely to get injured or sick if you're stressed out. Right. Yeah. It's funny you say that because. The NFL is now partnering with a company looking at HRV. And I saw a case study of a player, like, so they have someone out of the practice facility basically monitoring everyone's HRV. And when it drops below a certain threshold, then they'll say, okay, you're done for the day. And I forget who the player was because this was about a year and a half ago. He said, ah, oh, coach, let me just get one more rep in. So he's like, okay. And he pulls his hamstring on that play. Interesting. You know, when you're working with your body and it's your instrument, like this is why I am so gung ho about all this stuff because my body is my instrument. And if you're a professional athlete, same thing, you want it to be performing and optimal and not have these days where you have a hamstring or weeks even where right. you're trying to recover from it. When it, you could have just done one less rep, you're like, well, that was stupid. <laughs> Exactly. You know, but you learn. I know my body really well. And I account for those times. For instance, I'm about to go home for two and a half weeks to New Jersey. Oh, that's a HPA axis stressor right there. <laughs> right. So I am building up my reserves right now. And I talk to my family, some of them, the ones that are open to it. I'm like, let's try to like be good and get our good quality sleep and things like that before. We all are together where we're eating things that we may not usually eat or drinking more, or I'm not going to have my chili pad. I'm not going to probably bring my blue light glasses. I'm going to not be sleeping in my own bed and all these things. But that's why we have these tools so that we can be more resilient, so that we can handle those downturns so that we can come back up. Mm -hmm. And I won't schedule things right after I get back because I know I need like one or two days of like really honing in on my own energy 
and gathering it back all up or whatever and strengthening it to then become the person that I really want to be at work. So it's important to recognize those things, you know, and just play game. Absolutely. And in general, the way I explain it to people is the worst thing I can do if you're working with me as a client is to just take your symptoms away because here is the surface and here's your symptoms. Okay. We take them away. Then you're just one stressor away from being back in the same position. So let's keep, I mean, you're never going to completely eradicate all stress and that's not the goal, but you know, if you have other things to work on, I don't want to keep anyone longer than they need to work with me, but at the same time, we don't just want to make your symptoms disappear and then forget about other things that are lurking underneath. Right. And one of the other things, the last thing I'll say about this, because we could talk forever, is it's important to recognize that when we start doing our healing work, other things emerge because they can, because there's room for it to emerge now. And you have either the resilience to handle it, or you've cleared that layer. And now the next thing is ready to be dealt with. It's called a healing reaction, which I was unfamiliar with when I first started. I'm like, oh, like if I use all these oils, what's going to happen? Like (laughs) kill off everything. Oh, now I have to deal with heavy metals floating around my body, right? There's just so many things. It's important to remember that there's always other layers. There's You can always go deeper. And the more that you work on yourself and heal yourself, the more resilient you become. And that's what we want. We want to be able to handle life and enjoy it and show up as our best selves and give back and just- And a little bit of prevention goes a long way. Like I recognize that most people won't be as interested in this as you and I are, but they don't need to be because everyone's going to care about something. Whatever that something is, your health is underneath it. So if you optimize your health, the way you interface with that aspect of your life will change. Yeah. I'm grateful for the things that I've learned. It's been a rough road sometimes, but I also am very grateful for the things that I've learned and the things that I can do now because I've learned them. Take what you need. Not everybody needs to be grain-free. I understand that. But for me, it works. It's a little annoying, but I'm mastering it. Actually, I'm pretty pretty great at baking now grain-free, which is incredible. Yeah. You... You obviously are a wealth of knowledge. You've been featured on Huffington Post in the Bulletproof Executive. Yeah. And on Ben Greenfield's stuff. I mean, you know what you're talking about. Is there anything else that you want to share with us? I would just say, try not to get discouraged. Remember, healing is not linear. It might take two steps upward and then one step down, but the overall trend is upward and that's what matters. So if someone comes to me and they're having a bad day, five out of seven days a week, well, first goal, two to three month goal is to get them to having a bad day only two to three days a week, then just once a week, and then hopefully once a month. Definitely. And always keep track of your work. Always pat yourself on the back because I think we often think, well, it's not all solved. So it's, so I'm not getting better, but it's not true. You are working in that direction and it's important to thank the body for its resilience you have to work with your body. You can't get angry at it. That won't right. work. So Absolutely. thinking it is definitely something we should be doing. This has been an awesome conversation. Tim, I, you are my new best friend. I love you. Thank you for being <laughs> Thank here. Thank you so much. I yeah. appreciate um, it. Can you tell everybody where they can find out more about you? Yeah. So healyourbody.org, healyourbody.org and the Boss Body Podcast. Yep. And I was just on, he's got a lot of great guests. I know a lot of the people that you've interviewed and they are a wealth of knowledge. Dr. Gupta was just on and loved him. Thank you so much for being on the show. 
Thanks for the work that you're doing. Yeah, sure. And you, thank you for the work that you're doing. You're doing, you have amazing results. It's really awesome to see. Well, thanks. And I look forward to future conversations. If you love today's podcast, you're going to love the UR Energy course. I'm going to drop the link below so you can pick up that course. I go much more in depth about the science behind healing and I share the tools and techniques that I use every single day to help my body heal. Content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show website or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats, are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist.